is Kiki Rai, and you're listening to For the... listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or even game design. Joining Roger from WoW Dogs, and For the Lore is Joe, writer for World of Maticus, and Enrique of Spooncraft. Hello and welcome to For the Lord, this is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 26th of April, or as I found out earlier, Boopquake Day, a day where women around the world attempted to prove a madman cleric wrong that cleavage does not cause earthquakes. Sadly, a 6.9 magnitude quake hit in Taiwan today because apparently Mother Nature loves irony. Now, my theory on this is that... See, for scientific purposes, you can't just have one day of testing. That's not right. You need to have many days of testing and then compare that with how many days there are earthquakes to come up with a, a good, reliable number. So I think you girls should basically keep at it, is what I'm saying, for as long as it takes to come up with a good scientific number. Now, that being said, this episode of For the Lord is going to be both Joelis as well as Rickless. But I'm not going to be flying solo. We'll go back and we'll go into that into in a minute here. Um, Joe has a mandatory course to attend, so he can't make the podcast. Apparently, if you beat up enough old people, they make you take uh, an anger management course. So hopefully next week he'll be back and far less angsty. Um, as for Rick, though, unfortunately, Rick's basically got a metric fuck ton of real life crap going on right now that he has to wait through. Not the least of which being the passing of his grandmother. Um, he's spoken about her to me a couple of times, and she's had a pretty large hand in raising him. And I know that I kid around with Rick a lot, but the truth is, if this woman had anything to do with his raising, she should be thanked. She did a hell of a job. Um, because of that, and basically how uh, corny it sounds, I'd like to dedicate this episode to her memory. Um our, our thoughts are with Rick right now and our condolences. Now, Rick is actually going to need an extended AFK to get through everything that's going on. It's been dropped on him. So I talked it over with Joe, and we both agree that we prefer the show as a dynamic trio. And we also agreed on who we should approach first to take over Rick's seat for a little while until he comes back. So we're quite happy to have Vince with us. He agreed to, to join us for a little while. As everybody knows, Vince from MassiveNerd.net, so he's going to be rounding off the For the Lore crew for the next foreseeable while. So Vince, welcome to the show. It's a great honor to be here. I mean, yeah, again, we all give Rick some crap, but he does a great job, and I will do my best to hold up the legacy of For the Lore. That's good, that's good. I mean, it's not like the well was that deep, like I told you. I mean, really, truth be told... I don't think Kiki would have done it after I made fun of her tights. Um, Dan basically only plays Borderlands now, so he's useless. And Hoogs just drinks and swears, and let's be honest, that quota's filled. So, it, it fell on you. Well, hey, big fish, small pond. I'll take so, it. 
All right. You were just mentioning on Twitter yesterday how good it felt to be done the Mass Effect 2 squad bios that you've been doing. We're going to be putting the um, Legion one tonight, and that was your last one. How does it feel getting them all done? Oh, it's intense. Like I did had no idea what sort of game I was getting myself into from the start. Uh, as you remember, I, I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to do one character per segment. I was like, oh, five minutes on one character? That's That's a lot. And then I had trouble fitting some of them into 10 minutes. It turned into this huge, huge, almost life of its own. And it, it was cool. It was very fun to really get into a game and really analyze every single character. The thing that people don't realize until they take on a project like that, like when I asked you to, to do it, I knew exactly what you were getting into if you agreed to do it. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize how much post and pre-production work goes into doing segments like that. Even if it's a short segment like that, even under 10 minutes, it's a lot of work between the writing, the recording. And what people don't realize, too, is that the editing and the constant retakes, it takes oh. a lot of time to get it right. So the fact that you got all of them done and that you got them done as well as you did shows a lot. I'm really quite proud of the work that you did. Uh, like I said, they, between the 10 articles, it came to over 12,000 words. Yeah, it and is. It's a lot. At, at 1,200 words a post, I, I think the biggest thing I've ever written on my blog was maybe 1,500 words. And those are very few and far between. To have 10 of those in a row was draining. Well, the thing, too, is that when you present it with something that is so rich in terms of content, it's not as hard to get to go a little overboard with your word count because there is so much. Each one of the characters had so much going on for them. And when you start looking at all the different possibilities as well, you really have a wealth to pull from for your, your articles. Yeah. And, and also just figuring out, you know, how exactly to put together each piece, like for some, you know, okay, give the character history first and then go into, you know, their role in the mission where for others like Legion who are more mysterious, okay, we'll do his introduction first and then get into the character history. So it was very dynamic. It was cool. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, it was, no. And, and I appreciate the work done. The thing with Legion two, which you said, which everybody's going to hear it when they download the podcast tomorrow. The thing with Legion I found is exactly what I just found with um, Kasumi for the download being that I think the characters are very rich. I think given the opportunity, the characters would be a lot of fun to have with you. However, they appear so late in the game. Like, I mean, Legion is so late in the game that you barely make use of them. And then Kasumi, most people by now have played through the game kind of thing. If not nearly finished it, maybe they're on a second playthrough or, or even more. In which case, then yes, it's definitely worth it. But if you finish the game and pick up that... that um, that DLC really, to be honest, like I, I finished, I, I bought the, the, the DLC and I've been playing through my second playthrough on my, my female shepherd, the renegade female shepherd. So I made sure to get Kasumi and do her quest, um, the stolen memory quest. ASAP. That was one of the first things that I did so that I could actually enjoy the character and have her along for much of the story. Were that not the case, I don't think it'd be worth the seven bucks to buy the DLC because really as much fun as it was, you finish it in under an hour. It's very, very, very short. I thought it was very cool. There's less fighting and more 
espionage kind of stuff. However, I found that to be very simple as well. It's it's there's not a lot to it. I shouldn't say there's not a lot to it. It's it's very easy. So for me, I would have liked a little bit more of a challenge for all of it, not just the gunfights. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you actually get a chance to play through it all? I, I haven't gotten it at all yet. I'm working okay. on finishing up uh, Dragon Age, going through that a second time and going through Awakenings and all that. But yeah, I'm in a similar situation where I've already done my Renegade par- playthrough. I've already done my Paragon playthrough. I have a third one that I intend to do, but I intend to have Shepard die in that one because right. I just want to see how it ends. So I don't want to gain anybody's loyalty. I don't want extra characters that I you know, might live through and screw everything up. So yeah, for me, Kasumi would just be, okay, I'll play through like in the after questing for my renegade and paragon just to see what it's like but yeah i won't have the luxury of playing through the game with her see yeah and that to me makes a a big difference in whether or not to to take the character and the problem too is that if you're getting her now in the hopes of being able to use her for mass effect 3 who's to say how much attention is going to be given to those characters in the third one i I would hope that just as much seeing as they're putting them in, or I would assume again that they were already in from the get-go and just now kind of unlocked kind of thing. Um, because she is very well integrated. When you're doing your quests and whatever, it's 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 a good character to have around. She's funny. Um, and so I've been enjoying it. But yeah, if I were just to download it and play based on the Shepherd that I had that actually finished everything and just go through to run through, I'd be a little disappointed in the price point. But being that again, I'm going through an entire new playthrough it, in that case it is a good value it's a good character i love the abilities once you pump through the full uh four levels into her um her hide and seek ability there where she just disappears and appears behind somebody and stabs them and you get to decide whether you want more uh damage from that or if you want it we're in if the person dies or the whatever dies when she attacks them then it reduces the cooldown on the ability as well, which means she does a lot of it then. If you can just stand behind and lower everybody's health enough that once she gets there, it's a, you know, bounce around between them, that's fantastic. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it it's very good. It's, it's again, it's a good character. The, um, the quest line itself, the loyalty mission, um, not as good as some of the other ones. Um, I found it, again, short, but not too short, but, well, maybe too short. Not hard enough as well, but definitely cool. Um, if you don't want any spoilers, skip ahead a little bit here. But the the you have to get into the vault, this person's vault, to retrieve something that you want. So I'm not going to spoil that. When you go into the vault, though, that's when it's pretty interesting. The shit that you see in that vault, take your time and look around. Don't go directly to what you know you need. Look around because everything um, has the blue square on it so that you can activate it and she'll tell you something about it. So look at everything. One of the statues there is actually an ogre, a darkspawn ogre from Dragon Age Origin. And her comment is, can you imagine running into that in a dark alley? So just a nice little nod towards Dragon Age Origins there. But yeah, no, the um, you also get the swanky dress for the female shepherd or the tux for the male shepherd. It's pretty hilarious seeing my captain running around the ship in this dress. <laughs> it just, it does not fit at all. I'll probably never wear it again. I did for a little while just for fun. But yeah, it just doesn't fit. 
So you get that. You get the Locus SMG as well, which it, it, it works well, but because I didn't play with an SMG on my prior playthrough, I played a, a sniper, infiltrator sniper. So I really am not very familiar with just how well SMGs are supposed to do, how much damage. So this one is doing fairly well, but then I'm also, I'm a Vanguard and I've got the full four levels. So when I bounce in now, that which is freaking, have you played a Vanguard yet? No, I haven't. Okay, do it. <laughs> it's pain in the butt <laughs> earlier on because what happens is that you dive in. It's this like freaking tunnel kind of thing that happens where you it looks like you're getting sucked, propelled towards the mob, and then you hit them and they knock them over. The problem is that typically there's a few buddies around or whatever, and you get yourself nailed. And then you'll start nailing on, even if it's just one target with your SMG, and you will run out of bullets real fast and have to reload, which then gets them pounding on you. But once you get your full four levels into the ability, then once you go towards them, you can either do an area of effect spell that'll hit more of them, or you can slow down time after you've hit them, giving you more time to nail them with a whole bunch of bullets and reload, which is awesome. <laughs> Are you not using the shotgun on him? I thought they were best with the shotgun. Well, right you're now, already up close. <laughs> it, I find that the SMG is actually better. I, I tried it with the shotgun. Granted, I haven't tried with the shotgun since I got the full four levels into that. So I've been using the SMGs just because I can put the incendiary ammo on it mm -hmm. and then shit's on fire as soon as I hit it. Which Did you get the eviscerator shotgun from the Cerberus network? Because all the other shotguns are garbage, but that one is really powerful. I, I think so. I, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll let you know next week. I'll give it a shot. Because I've been, I, with the SMG and with the full four levels and uh, some points in, in, in incendiary weapons, it works well. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am bouncing between mobs. It's awesome. And then I've got Kasumi disappearing and reappearing and killing shit all over the place i barely need a third guy with me so uh there a second guy with me so yeah no we're uh I, i'm really enjoying this uh this second playthrough and i started using the the file editor app that i spoke about last time to give myself resources instead of scanning planets i ain't scanning no more planets ever ever and i told people i hadn't tried it yet i did works like a charm all right so whenever there's upgrades i'm buying them whenever there's anything i'm buying i'm giving myself money now too let's screw this shit i've done this already once before i don't have to suffer through this i just give myself money and all the resources i need so i don't have to scan it's great i'm not screwing with my renegade level or my 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 actual level and things like that. i'm not touching just basically i don't want to ever have to scan anymore that's my only thing so and it works fantastic I hate you. I'm stuck on 360. Yeah, you can't do that. Oh yeah, no. I seriously, dude. If I was on, I would not play it again. If I was on on a 360, I just would not play it again. Simply because the the prospect of having to scan planets again, I I just I can't I can't bring myself to do it. It it wasn't that bad the second time around because first of all they start you off with like 50,000 extra minerals or something like that, and you know once you kind of get it down like okay I'm only going to scan the rich planets and just you know pick up the the big spikes it wasn't that rough not as bad as the first time because the first time if you're anything like me you scanned every inch of every stupid oh, little planet. God yeah yeah no see that's what I mean I did my time <laughs> I did my time I'm not doing that shit ever again um that being said i also picked up the um 
the new vehicle. The uh, oh, how is that? I can't wait for that. Well, I picked it up, and I'd say I had picked it up as soon as it came out, but I hadn't been playing my second playthrough, so I never really got to mess around. And I didn't bother going back to my other Shepherd um, after I finished them. It just didn't seem right. It just I don't know. I can't bring myself to do any additional content on him. For me, that story. I know it's very like RP-ish, but. To me, that story is done. I finished it off, and and it's pretty much done. Especially consider, considering I told the Lusa man to take a hike. Now, when I get emails from him saying, "Hey, guess what? Here's a hammer," and it's like, screw <laughs> it. Why would you be giving me this? You wouldn't. You hate my ass because I told you where to go. So it doesn't quite feel right. But um, I picked up the hammerhead, and basically, you go on a planet. There it is. You hop in, and then there's these resource resource points here and there that you have to essentially mine, gather the resources, and you have to use the forward thrusters as well as the upward thrusters, kind of. So you're bouncing up and down around planets. It's basically just meant to teach you how to use the vehicle to get around. That's it, and then you get the vehicle. Now, hmm. they make mention of there's a couple other planets you can go check out for doctors or whatever. I, I'm not, I haven't done those because I would assume that once you go, it'll be the same kind of thing. Find the resource spots, take the ore, the minerals, whatever it is that you're resourcing. Um, and that's it. So I really haven't bothered it. To me, it doesn't, it, it, it was no fun at all. But I mean, it, it's a free download and it's a, it's a damn sight better than the vehicle from the first one. But all it is is you're getting a free vehicle. So this is where my master plan comes together because I knocked out my first two playthroughs of Mass Effect and then I went to play Final Fantasy and now I'm going back through Dragon Age again. So by the time I get back around to Mass Effect, I'm going to have all kinds of new stuff to do. That's the thing too. like, And and that's why I'm also enjoying there's been enough time for me between um, my first playthrough and now the second playthrough that there are some new things to do. And because I am going full on Renegade, it's a little bit different as well in terms of what happens in some of the stories so i I am enjoying it um also because i did the i I bought the four issues of um the redemption comic for mass effect so i read all of those and that gives you a nice little insight of the in-between of what's going on as well i i don't know did you actually pick them up and read them oh yes i read them i I enjoyed them so yeah it's interesting so for people who have absolutely no interest in picking up the comic books and, and but would like to know the story essentially you are reading from the point of view of Liera who's trying to find what's going on with Shepard's body because Shepard's body is kind of being sold off so she teams up with a drill named Farron who deals with the shadow broker and so you are trying to find out what's going on with the body because apparently the shadow bro- broker is brokering a deal to sell the body to the collectors but they don't know why the collectors want the body behind the scenes as well you have the elusive man and cerberus who are trying to get the body from them in order to of course for mass effect to rebuild the body so the comic i don't know if you did did you really like you read a lot more comics obviously than i do i've, I've got five in my collection now and I, it's getting a little <laughs> overwhelming <laughs> but like what did you think of it in terms of comparing it to some of the other stuff you read uh, compared to a lot of at least like the video game themed one, the art was fantastic. A lot of these you get maybe like B or C list artists and it just kind of looks weird. But this one, it, it did a very good job of translating the feel of the game onto the page, like uh, comparing it to the Dragon Age one. The Dragon Age comic looks fantastic, but 
it's a very dissimilar style to the game. Whereas the Mass Effect comic, the art was spot on. And at least for me, like art is at least as important as the writing in it. So it was, uh, it was pretty good overall. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. If anybody's interested in reading them, I know that the first one they put on the iPhone. I don't know if I think they put the second one too on the iPhone. They were selling them for a couple of bucks. I don't know about the other ones, although I would assume, of course, that they will be up. Um, I did pick up the Dragon Age one as well too. Excuse me. I actually love the artwork. I, I oh, I, yeah, I me love away. it. Way. Um, I found the story way too short. Like I talked about before on another episode, way too short. But I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with them. And no, it doesn't fit in tie in with the style of Dragon Age Origins. That I'll agree with you. But I'm willing to give them that liberty. I actually found the art style in Mass Effect, the Mass Effect Redemption, far too simplistic. I. I, I saw too many shortcuts being taken, and maybe, again, it's because I don't read enough comic books to know that this is a common thing, but I saw a lot of artistic shortcuts that were taken wherein it could have been done a little differently, and a lot of ass shots. A lot of ass shots. <laughs> Tons of them. Although, I guess that, that is... comics. Well, that, if they're trying to stay true to Mass Effect, then maybe they were right. <laughs> So you've been playing Dragon Age Origins again. Actually, I just went through and reinstalled it all on my iMac because I was used to play it on the PC. And um, and so now my bootcamp partition on my iMac is actually getting a, a number of games on them now that I'm playing. So I, I actually literally yesterday reinstalled all of Dragon Age Origin on it as well as Awakening because I still haven't done Awakening because I've been waiting because I want to finish The Calling, which is the second of mm -hmm. the novels before I start it. I've got like maybe 20, 30 pages left, so I can't wait to finish it. If you haven't read either of the David Gator books for Dragon Age Origins and you enjoyed the game, or even if you didn't play the game but you enjoy a good fantasy read, definitely pick them up. They're fantastic. And some of the risks that he takes in the second one, The Calling, he should be commended for. Um, very, very good read well-developed characters. The story's fantastic. I'm, I haven't gotten to the ending, so I don't know if the ending is is worth the build-up. I found that, as did Joe, with the first one, the ending was a little disappointing, and it felt as if a shortcut was taken. That's not to say that... Disappointing maybe is uh, the wrong way to say it. I, I think it could have been... It was, it was fine, but it could have been so much better. So I'm waiting to see what it's going to be like this. But I did get all of Dragon Age Origins set up again because I want to, as soon as I'm done, start Awakening. Did you actually play through Awakening yet? Well, as soon as I started up uh, Dragon Age again, I bought the Awakenings. I downloaded it onto my Xbox. And I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to play this. And I'm going, and first of all, I didn't want to import my warden from the first time through because he didn't make it. And again, for like role-playing reasons, that just felt kind of weird. So I'm like, okay, I'll create a new guy. And starting, I don't, I don't even know what level they start you off at. I think it's like 15 or 18 or something, but there's so many like higher tier skills that you won't have access to at that lower level. I'm like, well, okay, whatever. I'll just go along with this. And then I'm thrown into a battle right away and I've forgotten what to do. I've got all these <laughs> buttons and I, I like, I don't, I don't remember what I'm doing here. So I just started over my second playthrough right away instead of playing through awakenings first. See, that's what's holding me up as well too, that my first playthrough, she died. And, um, I don't, I, a, I didn't think that you could import them if they died and B, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't feel right either. And it's possible. You can't, I never tried it. Yeah. And so I, then my second playthrough, 
is my badass mage, but he's stuck still in the wizard or the the circle of magi right now. In that stupid fade <laughs> thing that takes quite a while to get out of, that's a pain in the ass kind of thing. At first I liked it, and now it's like, oh, dude, just, just yeah. get out now. Get over this. <laughs> I'm smoking through my second playthrough in pretty much a day or so. I went through all of the Mage's Tower, all of the Basilican Forest, and halfway through Orzammar. Because I already know what everybody's going to say, so I'm just skipping through the dialogue and only listening to the new parts. So I'm smoking through this thing this time. Well, I'm 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 considering I'm de- I'm debating whether I should take my save from the PC and bring it down here to the iMac and keep going with that mage because he was actually doing really well and I was going like total renegade bastard on him. He was just not a good person. And that made for a lot of interesting conversations as well. So I oh, yeah. I was debating whether I should do that or I read a thing on it might have even been one of the Bioware people who did it, where they had a group with every possible person that could be have a pet, be a hunter and pet, did. <laughs> and so you had this monstrous party because you had all of the, the hunters as well as all the pets and yeah. shit just died. Everything just <laughs> died. And then I was reading a thing literally just today that was on massively and they were doing an interview with someone from uh i actually was one of the co-founders from um bioware and they were talking about having a group of three mages with um win and um you as well as um morrigan and then get each of them leveled up to have animate dead as well so then you have your party plus they had uh, what's her name, um, Leliana, as a rogue, but all of your mages would also revive each summon as well. So you had this monstrous, monstrous party. Way to crash your computer. That's basically like a necromancer, man. You're a necromancer general from D two, yeah. but it would sure go through mobs fast. So staying on with Bioware right now too, we got a new video for um, Star Wars The Oral Republic as well, where they talk about the combat, what we can expect in Star- uh, The Old Republic with combat. I thought it was fairly interesting. Hopefully this isn't going to kill our feed here because I'm actually playing it for people who are watching live. It was interesting because they're saying that they're trying very hard to make it where it's not going to be the same as current MMOs in terms of the fighting and whatnot. One of the things that I found interesting that they were talking about as well was how they, you often see in MMOs and in standalone RPGs and whatnot, wherein you'll have, well, not in standalones, but in MMOs where you have several people working on, again, one mob to take them down, whereas here they want there to be more of a feel of you fighting a lot of of mobs instead of just everyone on one, which is fairly interesting. It'll be neat to see how they they can pull it off well. Yeah, I like the way they said it with, uh, they're saying, oh yeah, having 25 guys beat up on one enemy, that doesn't seem very heroic. Exactly. I like the, again, who knows what's going to happen when it comes out, but I like the concepts that they have, whether or not it'll pan out, who knows? I mean, a lot of people are saying, yeah, but if you watch the combat that they're talking about, really, it doesn't look like that much different than what we're seeing. But there are little things here and there that 
that are making it a little different. One of the things about Ion, for all the things that people bitched about, and it certainly I was one of them as well, is it introduced some new things in terms of three-dimensional combat wherein mm-hmm. you're either airborne or not and you got to keep your eyes all around you and here case in point with the um yeah, it's not the smuggler the bounty hunter where you've got your um your jetpack where you can go up in the air as well to do some fighting from the air as well and different things like that that they're introducing it actually does look like i mean if they can hold up to their word here it will be much more dynamic combat than what we're used to seeing right now. Yeah, maybe it's just me, but the bounty hunter is looking like the death knight of this game. They've given him every cool ability you can think of. Jetpacks, uh, grenades, tasers, uh, the rope that he's tugged him in with, like Scorpion out of Mortal Kombat. I'm like, this guy has everything. The thing, too, is that I think that they have to go through... A- and do things like that because they can't make the Sith classes as well as the Inquisitor class and, and the Counselor be too appealing that who would consider a bounty hunter or a smuggler or a trooper when you can have be a Jedi or a Sith kind of thing. So in order to do the class balancing, then it's important to make each of the classes be unbelievable and very cool in terms of combat. And right now, having seen the combat that you get from some of the other classes, I, I'm I would rather play the other classes than uh, a force class. I, if 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 I had to pick a class right now to play, I would probably pick the trooper. The trooper just looks awesome with that giant gun and all of his abilities mowing down the enemies. It looks really interesting. Yep, very cool. Now they're doing the same thing as well with this, wherein they are going to be doing the uh, comic as well to give you a little bit of the behind the scenes of what's going on and the history between, you know, leading up to, to the game. We're seeing a lot more of that. And we're certainly seeing a lot more of that from Bioware as well. Now, I don't know. Do you know whether or not this is actually going to be published by EA again, or if it's going to be go through dark horse or somebody else? Um, They're showing dark horse on the website. Now I'm not sure just do you know what we saw on the web? Is that being published? Because it seemed like a fairly self-contained uh, webcomic to me. That I don't know. Yeah, because it, it told its story. Uh, it was very fast-paced and hard to follow because they were doing like three pages per issue. But I don't see how they could publish it now that they've basically given most of it away for free. <laughs> true, true. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if it was something completely different. Again, Well, they've been putting out, uh, Dark Horse has been putting out the Star Wars comics for years. They've had, you go into a bookstore and look at the Star Wars comic shelf, now they have an entire shelf filled with Knights of the Old Republic comics. But are they doing anything about the, the Old Republic now, or is it all the Knights of the Old Republic? or or is well, that There is a time difference between the two. I seem to remember them saying that they were actually ending the Knights of the Old Republic line, so it's possible they're going to be going into actual Old Republic comics. Now, how well they're going to tie into the game, I'm not certain. I would have to look a little more into that. Right. Okay. Well, it is something that it, we're seeing a lot more of, too, between the whether it's comics or the books as well that we've been seeing. There's, they're, they're, They know that there's an untapped market there. So moving on from there, we we did get some more WoW news. I don't want to go into too much WoW news. To me, the most important WoW news was the announcement today where Blizzard was talking about the 10 and 25 man loot tables and raid lockouts and everything. Now, for those of you who are not aware of this, 
Come Cataclysm, 10 and 25-man raids are going to share the same lockout. I'm going to read this verbatim. Um, normal versus heroic mode will be chosen on a per-boss basis, and Cataclysm, Cataclysm raids the same as it works in Ice Crown Citadel. 10 and 25-man bosses will be close to in difficulty, plus they'll drop the exact same items. They're going to share the same loot tables. The only difference will be that in 25-man, um, the bosses will drop a higher quantity of the loot not more or so more of it but not any different than you'd get doing the 10 man that's pretty huge they're also saying the content will be gated um and that the first cataclysm raids are going to be geared towards basically if you're in blue and crafted items so anybody who's got their their 5k gear score is going to be fine but that's pretty huge in terms of what it's going to mean for your raids wherein your guilds are going to be able to have a couple of raids going on the same night as opposed to just one. The only problem with that too will be the, again, your classes that you're short on, your tanks and your healers. Now having one or, you know, a couple may not be enough. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'll i admit I'm not a raider. The last raid boss I killed was Ragnaros. But to me, I just don't understand these changes. I really don't see the point of where they're going with it. I, well, they've been changing it constantly from the 40 down to, to this now to make it what they believe it to be as guild-friendly as possible. Now, I mean, I, I, Why bother with 25s at this point then is what I'm looking at. At this point here, I have to agree. If you're not going to be making it any more difficult and if you're not going to be giving even better loot, how many people are going to bother going into the 25s when you could just jump into a 10-man pug, no problem. I mean, even most guilds don't have a big problem with just getting together a 10-man to do something. The 20 man, 25 might be a little difficult, but 10 typically is not. So it's true, like you're saying, how many people are going to bother with 25s if this goes, th well, not if, obviously it is going through. Yeah, it just it just seems awkward to me, and we'll have to wait to see how it works out. But as a non-raider, it doesn't affect me. But I see a lot of people in the raiding community that are already very upset about it. And as the raiding community goes, so goes the rest of the community. So if a lot of them are unhappy, it might filter down to the more casual people like me. Yeah, I have not been doing any of the, the 10. I, well, I've done some, but not that much. Our guild actually doesn't do much of the 10 man, so you have to pug it, which I've done a few times. And, well, that's always fun. So <laughs> so I don't bother for the most part. So, But anyways, again, I didn't want to touch on too much with the, the WoW news, basically just that for now. We did have the passing come out as well for Left 4 Dead 2. Are you actually playing Left 4 Dead 2? No, it's one of those games I just never quite got to. Well, the the passing did come out for people who um, were looking forward to it greatly, introducing new maps that you can play as well, and new mutations and things like that. I kind of bounced in. There's some pretty interesting little asides where some of the scribbling on the walls is a little hat tip towards other games or, or, or things like that. The, the Plants vs. Zombies hat tip is hilarious um oh, no, the, the 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 dead rising one was the best yeah. i loved that <laughs> but um it, it's all tongue-in-cheek which i mean valve is known for the uh i didn't go through all of the maps but i mean if you're not <laughs> there's no absolutely no patience in the you know first person shooter community 
for noobs. If you don't know what you're doing right from the moment you get in there, they will crucify your ass. They're not happy people. They're not happy. <laughs> so I bounced in having no clue what was going on, just starting in. And it didn't go well. <laughs> and it didn't go well because of me. And you had uh, some pissed off 13 year olds. Oh, you? <laughs> and they started shooting at me, the little bastards. So I shot back. <laughs> And then they're saying, what's wrong with him? And I'm going, well, he shot first. <laughs> but uh, but what I did play through, I was having fun. Um, it is free for PC versus the 360 that you actually do have to pay for it. But uh, but it was fun. It is. I, I actually haven't done anything where in I've seen the first team yet. So that's what I'm actually looking forward. I mean, we've all seen the videos um, with Francis meeting up with what's her name, and, which is pretty funny. But I haven't actually come across anything yet. It's just been in, go in, kill more people in a new setting. But it is kind of cool. So, anyways, what else were we going to touch about? Uh, we were going to touch on oh, Star Trek Online as well has yeah. a new um, patch is going to be coming out. The free content patch is going to be coming out and it is on Deep Space Nine that is going to be getting attacked. So if you're playing uh, Star Trek Online, there's going to be some new content. Unfortunately, their trailers really suck. I had to say, people, I mean, learn from other people, game devs, and put out better trailers because, I mean, it doesn't look bad. I'm showing it here for people who are watching. Um, Obviously, the quality in terms of graphics is awesome and everything else, but it's basically just a big fight. I mean, you're looking at a, a big space fight, which though, you know, yeah, epic, awesome, cool. But I've done those big epic space fights and they're not so much with the epic after a while. They're just pressing a couple of buttons. And then the, the ground fights is the same kind of thing. I, I think they need to learn more about, let's tell the story of what's going on here so that yeah. the character people are enticed to, okay. Because you know what? I, I still got my Star Trek online. I would love to bounce into it more often. Show me something where in the story is what, you know, give at least put some writing on there to explain what's going on if you look at the trailer for this again people i'm showing it there's no writing that you you wouldn't know what's going on here except for i mean the deep space nine you you recognize the 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 ship the the station but and after that it's just a whole whack load of fighting so there's no what's going on Hey, so if, if I, you uh, had oh. told me it was the invasion of deep space nine i wouldn't have known what i was looking at yeah, which is true. So, I, I again, for anybody who is, you know, cryptic, just put out better trailers, explain what's going on so that you can, so people can know. And and yes, I apologize. It was very loud for a moment there, but that's because the video ended and it went to a commercial. <laughs> so that's why. Um, and moving on from there, we've got some Transformers news for the war. Ooh, Transformers. Okay, I'll let you take this over. I know you're all giddy. well basically they just unveiled two new characters being ironhide for the autobots and skywarp for the decepticons and i absolutely love these character models they're so cool and detailed they have their g1 roots while still being new it's just it's great to see that they're going to have all three of the seekers playable it looks like between starscream skywarp and thundercracker Okay, now I'm going to be honest with you. I have not been following this that much right now. What should I be excited? And it's not that I don't like the Transformers series. I mean, hell, I grew up on it when I was, you know, younger. Granted, it was a little, little after my time, but still. Um, what is it in this one here that I should be excited about? 
All right. It's basically Arkham Asylum with robots. <laughs> the cool thing about Arkham Asylum was the team that created that. They were Batman fans first and games developers second. They made sure they got the characters right. They made sure they got the voices right. They made sure they got the setting right and then designed a cool game around that. And when you're looking at the uh, team that's making this game, they're Transformers fans first. They wanted to make sure they got Cybertron right. They got all the proper characters in there. They've got Peter Cullen doing Optimus Prime's voice. So as far as I'm concerned, it's pure win from there on. And then they're making a good game around this already designed setting. Yeah. And, and people have to realize, I know a lot of people who um, who mock voice acting, saying it's not important to the story. Kiss my ass. It is so important when it can sink you into a story, when hearing the voice is literally immerses you that much more in, like, I mean, you brought up Batman, and that's a good point. When you're in Batman and those voices are exactly like they're supposed to be, and you're sucked in. I mean, completely sucked in. Now, what I did hear from these two for the trailers for this, yeah, the voices are bang on. It does sound like it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, if you watch that cinematic trailer they put out, and as soon as it starts, that's Optimus Prime. There is no other Optimus Prime. That is Optimus Prime, and it just instantly puts you right in that happy spot in your mind where you're (laughs) eight years old again, sitting on the floor watching Transformers on TV. All right, moving on from there, we've got some StarCraft 2 news as well. We've got um, some new campaigns that were added, which are um, fairly interesting. I'll let you go on this first, and then I'll give my two cents. Well, it's they showed off uh, two and a half, let's say, new campaign missions. They had the one, Welcome to the Jungle, which is you know a traditional sort of StarCraft mission of, okay, here are some objectives, go get them. The cool one for me they showed was the dig, where you're the Terrans and you have to drill into this Zelnaga vault to get a relic. And of course, this pisses off the Protoss and they start coming after you. So throughout the mission, you've got to control this giant mining laser drilling through the vault while at the same time turning the laser on the enemies because they're sending Archons and Colossi after you and you're fighting them off with Goliaths and Marines. So you need this powerful weapon, but you have to balance out between holding back the enemy and still drilling through before you're just completely overwhelmed. So it shows that they're putting in some very cool new twists to the gameplay because there's only so many times you can build an army and go kill the Zerg before it stops being interesting. Yeah, which if we didn't mention already, this is obviously local play. And it is cool because it is something we're in. They they have to gate it somehow. We're in there are certain objectives that you have to do. Otherwise, you're just going to do the same thing and just do a rush kind of thing. Whereas this forces you to think more tactically in terms of being able to defend your squad versus the speed with which you can complete the mission. So anybody who's watching live right now can see the big laser that he's talking about wherein you're blasting through the doors here to be able to get to the the relic so yeah very interesting um it it, it does look like it's going to be fun i'm hoping that there's even more depth with the the rest of the campaigns local campaigns that come out um i don't know it it just this still does look limited though to me well you have to look this is looks to be the early on Terran Mm -hmm. missions because you're still using the old StarCraft one units. You don't see any Thors out there. You don't see any Valkyries. So it looks to be pretty early on in the progression. But if they said they're going to have 30 Terran missions in Wings of Liberty, they better have some variety in there or it's going to be brutal. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you also had a brief rant that you wanted to go on. <laughs> well, By all Friday. means. Friday, I watched these cool videos. And I'm like, oh, okay. It looks like the campaign's going to be pretty fun. I better go back and play the first StarCraft again. I haven't played it in 12 years or however long it's been. I want to refresh myself with the story, just like playing through Mass Effect again before Mass Effect 2. So I crack open my giant vault of old computer games. I got my Brood War disc, and at some point over the last decade, I've lost my StarCraft disc. I'm like, oh, no worries. I know they have a digital download available on the Blizzard store. So I go over there, and it's $14.99 for the StarCraft anthology. It includes StarCraft and Brood War. 15 bucks deal. Purchase it, start downloading it, and it uses the traditional Blizzard peer-to-peer downloader, which is great when you have peers. When you have a couple million people downloading the same Warcraft patch, it goes fairly <laughs> decent. There aren't a whole lot of people downloading StarCraft. This is it was like a 1.2 gigabyte file, while not inconsequential, is fairly manageable, even on my piss poor DSL connection. So I start this thing up and it's going and it's going and I'm waiting for the kilobits per second to pick up pace. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get some more connections. It's going to go great. No, it downloaded at 10 kilobytes per second. (laughs) I spent 24 hours straight, not doing anything else with my internet, 24 hours downloading Starcraft. It was brutal. You could have just like, gone to the store. Don't you have any in your store? I didn't want to get up. It was midnight on a Friday. I was on an impulse. <laughs> yeah, but it was downloading till, you know, midnight the next well, day. By then, then it's worth spending bucks. another 15 bucks on it. <laughs> no, it's 20 bucks for the, the boxed version. Oh, no. Was, yeah, Jesus. All right. It, We're going to seem like very backwards way of going about it oh i don't deny it no i am no fan of the way that they do their downloads but i mean oh well that's like completely off topic but bringing it right back to where we started with the mass effect download i hate this point system where you have to buy points in order to then buy things same as the microsoft points for the xbox i hate that shit because you always wind up buying x amount of points would cost you this much but then you always have points left over at the end that you're never going to use and they have it so basically it's like giving them you know a 15 percent tip on buying their games i hate that shit i hate it if that's the biggest ripoff right now with 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 gaming companies i absolutely detest it but anyways that being said we're going to take a break and we're going to come back in a few minutes so give us a couple minutes and we'll be right back Ugh, i hate stairs oh my god you hate stuff too sure never really thought about it but yeah i hate things I hate those stairs i know i hate that bridge it's so stupid i hate your vest what now? Uh, I don't think this is gonna work out. Okay, welcome back to For the Lore. We're gonna touch on um, the turbine takeover by Warner, but only briefly. Um, if you haven't heard, turbine was taken over by Warner Brothers. Um, 
what kind of impact that's going to have is kind of hard to tell. We've seen bigger companies taking over gaming companies a couple of times now, and you can't always think that it's going to be good. Uh, some of the things that we've seen have not been so pleasant. This here, they're saying that there should not be any noticeable difference. That said, I don't know. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, that's what Activision said with Blizzard, and we're already yep. starting to kind of see their fingers poking in there. And yeah, it, I'm not a big fan of the big acquisitions because then you get into the big issues between the de- what the developer wants to do and what the publisher wants to do. Just look at Activision and Infinity Ward for that. Like Turbine was very quietly doing very solid business. And the move they did with Dungeons and Dragons Online was obviously brilliant. They increased their revenue by 500%. So, and But you have to wonder if they were already under the umbrella of one of these bigger companies, would that move have been greenlit? Or would have Dungeons and Dragons just turn out to be a horrible failure? I'd I'd go with that. I think that's basically what would have happened. I've, it's far easier for these big publishers to give up on something and just start on a new project. Wherein the smaller dev companies are emotionally invested in the work that they've done to want to make it as good as possible. I mean, look at again Lord of the Rings Online right now, which again Turbine. Did not start off that strong. They are right now celebrating their three-year anniversary. However, they have kept at it, and the devs have been so um, enthusiastic about the IP and the game that they keep at it. They keep between the patches and everything else. They listen to their community in terms of what should be added, changed, and whatnot. They've been busting their butts on this game to make it better throughout time. And what the community has said is three years later, they're very happy with the game as it is now. Case in point, I was just talking to Joe today, and he was ironically saying that he was planning on resubbing his Lord of the Rings uh, account because it was on hold right now. And I was asking because there's this awesome sale right now where you can get the Siege of Mirkwood complete digital download package, which includes the game, the Minds of Mora, as well as this second expansion, plus 30 days of free game time for 10 bucks. 10 bucks! I mean, how can you say no to that? And then the monthly fee for that, if you go with the three, the six, or the 12 months, is $10 as well. So basically, it's to be the equivalent of trying it for a month, and then if you don't like it, whoop de doo you didn't really lose anything. So I did pick it up, and I'm going to be playing it, and I can give you guys my opinions on it um, come Monday next week. But yeah, it's, it's really hard to feel comfortable <laughs> when... <laughs> These big guys snatch up these little guys, and all they're interested in is the bottom line, which isn't to say that a smaller dev company doesn't care. Obviously, they do. They need to. But they're still emotionally invested in what it is that they're spending so much energy creating. They understand better exactly how they can achieve that bottom line, which is important. So, yeah. So, they had their fifth, or sorry, third anniversary, and then Guild Wars is presently um, on their fifth anniversary. So ArenaNet was talking to Massively about this and in terms of what they felt worked with Guild Wars and how it's progressing towards Guild Wars 2 and whatnot. And one of the things that I loved was how they talked about their business model because, of course, it's a free-to-play, completely free-to-play. And it's not like, I mean, they sell if you want to buy um, extra accounts or, sorry, extra spaces, character slots. But you actually have quite a number of them to start off with. I never had to buy another one. And I 
I'm an altor. I just love, I, I have to play each different class just to have fun with it even just. Um, so all the character slots are taken up for me, but it's still, I never needed anything more. There's quite a few. But what I loved about what they had to say was that because of their choice for this business model, it made it very different in terms of their, the game in terms of, their priorities with the game and not having to do with all the other MMOs do to have to try to keep you locked in like a grind. I mean, a grind is there for a reason. To a certain degree, if the grind is too much, then yeah, it's going to stop you from wanting to come back and play. However, if the grind is just enough and just enticing enough to keep you coming back, that's what they want. Whereas with Guild Wars, because they didn't care if you came back or not, you already bought the game. I mean, they want you, of course, to be telling everybody to buy it as well and to try it out. So that's important. But they're more interested in making a fun game. And that's exactly what I found playing it myself. Yeah, I, I've never played it myself, but hearing you talk about it a couple times now, it's definitely piqued my interest. I mean, you have such a passion for the game. I I may at some point check it out myself. It's one of those games that I still tell people to check out and, and quite simply just to get even just the, the original and Nightfall are the only two that you really need. Uh, granted, Eyes of, Eyes of the North or Eyes of the North, I never did pick up that one, so I'm not quite sure how much is in it that would be worth it. But Nightfall is still one of those games that I look back at so fondly, having played through all of it and finished it. It was absolutely brilliant. Absolutely loved it. There was no part of that game that I looked at and thought, this sucks, it's too hard, whatever. It was challenging and I, at points I needed to have some help from the guild, but those were few and far betweens. Um, but because I had my heroes that I could use as well, I'd just go out and have fun with my group. It was so well done, gorgeous to look at. The um, the voice in it, the everything, the music. It's a fantastic game. Now, that being said, it's not without its faults, in my opinion. Some people don't think there are many, but I still found there was some faults. I don't, I never liked pathing. Um, that's one of the things that WoW is good for. There is pathing where they will block you off at different points. Um, granted, it's typically at a rock face or something like that where it wouldn't be natural to climb it anyways. But there's not as much pathing. If you want to jump off a hill and die, pff, knock yourself out. Have fun, pay your repair bill. Whereas there's a lot of pathing in Guild Wars where you are prevented from going in a lot of places or anywhere that would harm you or things like that. And they do it as a means of stopping you from getting stuck and whatnot and directing you. But I always found that somewhat annoying. If I want to jump down and yeah, it'll take out half my health. I, I want to jump down. Let me jump down. Um, and, and you wouldn't think it's that much, but when you're actually playing and you constantly feel that pathing, it's bothersome. It, I, it's and I it takes your immersion out of the world, yeah. Completely. So that was one of my big ones. It took me a while to get used to the only having eight skills that I could have at any given time kind of thing. But once you do get used to it, it is, it's it's good. It simplifies the game wherein you can enjoy a lot more of the game. All that just to say again, I am really looking forward to two so much. And the fact that they are obviously really invested in terms of the voice acting. We've already seen the videos for the voice acting, which is awesome. And it's going to be another free to play. So yeah, you buy it. And if you don't like it, well, I mean, then you don't like it. You invested in a game and it's not like you have to pay or feel like you have to keep playing because you're paying. So you got nothing to say on that. Yeah. It 
I, you, you I, don't care. I'm you leaving that one to you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we're going to touch on our last subject for tonight. This is a good one. Now, this has been, <laughs> this, this stems from a comment that was made a while back by Roger Ebert, where he said that games cannot be viewed as art. They can't, they're not art. Now, he went on to write a full article about this for the Chicago Sun-Times that he writes for. And it's a lengthy article wherein he also talks about um, somebody who gave a speech about um, uh, the comment that he had made to prove that he was wrong. And basically, he just attempts to prove her wrong in everything that she says. Now... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the thing is okay hold on do you want to go first you can go first you got notes <laughs> you said you got well, notes this is this is uh, go I ahead started off with a question what would you say is art see that's like, the thing uh, just a basic definition uh, it, but that's the thing you can't have a basic definition right art is so utterly subjective that many many things can be viewed as art and whereas you may look at something and say that's not art i wouldn't say that it is i mean all you have to do is walk into any art gallery and make your way over into i don't know you know the modern art section wherein there's a nail holding a dead squirrel uh, and somebody painted over it and called it art um and my wife and i have discussions about this all the time where we'll laugh and i'll say that's not art I can do that. I have a hammer. I have, you know, I have the tools. I have a BB gun. And you got gun. plenty of squirrels. And I got a dog. I can I can get a squirrel. I can make this happen. But then it's, again, it, the truth of the matter is, is that it is subjective in terms of what is art. Now, I'm, I'm using the example strictly of actual art in terms of what is art. But, again, you can look at filmmaking, which he knows something about. You can look at, he mentions writing. He and then there's also uh, like all kinds of things like opera, things like that. There's a variety of things that qualify as art. His definition of what can be art, wherein if it's interactive, then it's not art, is complete stupidity. Okay, see, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm, I'm yeah, taking yeah, over. We're, we're, we're moving in. Okay, go, well, go ahead and give your opinion. Okay, well, just because I knew we were going to have to have this discussion, I came up with a simple idea of what I would say art is. And to me, art is an outward expression of the creator's inner feelings and thoughts. Like, for example, I'll use my writing. My writing is how I express myself to the world. I'm not saying it's good, but it still has, it's, it's still something there. There is some, meat to it if you want to say that so it doesn't have to be good art to necessarily be art again that squirrel on a nail it wasn't good by most definitions but you still have to accept that okay somebody came up with that idea and went through the process of coming up with it so you have to at least respect what they're trying to do even if you don't necessarily agree with the end result And going along with that, see, one of the things that he, well, he actually ends this with is his idea of what games are wherein you need to have, where is he? 
he talks about again this um, this presentation that was given, wherein they talked about the, um, the visual cues for what is involved in the game in producing video games, and how you're looking at development, uh, finance, publishing, marketing, education, and executive management. And he ends with "I rest my case," meaning if you need those for whatever it is you're creating, it's not art anymore. I find this so funny seeing as he sees filmmaking as art, however, (laughs) as if somebody's just walking around, came up with the idea that they'd like to film this dog taking a leak in a fire hydrant, took their camera out, and bada-boom, made a movie. Guess what, buddy? All these movies that you see as expressions of art, which they are, there's development, there's publishing, there's finance, there's marketing, education to learn what you're doing, and executive management. It's all there. The Sistine Chapel didn't just happen. They just they didn't hand him a brush and say, go to it, buddy. No, there was development, getting it ready. There was hiring for a multitude of people who worked on it. The finances behind it, all of that. All of these examples that he says... You know, our art, case in point, writing as well. He has no problems saying that writing is art. Guess what, buddy? Writing is about just as much about numbers when it comes down to the publishing and getting them out as it is in the creation as well. You are doing all of this stuff. So the fact that games do that as well does not discount it as being art. Granted, the examples that were given that he quoted as well, like he quotes... um, um Waco, which bad example. Uh, yeah, um, it's a horrible example. <laughs> but then Braid, yeah, Braid was a fantastic game, and then Flower. But I mean, those are three examples, and there are so many others that he could have taken. Any modern game, like I mean, we just spent how much time time talking about Dragon Age Origins as well as Mass Effect. Whatever your enjoyment of the actual game may be, you cannot discount the fact that those were art. They were an uh, an incredible experience wherein you were involved in that art. Well, you see, th- go ahead. Ebert, I have a direct quote from Ebert's article that pinpoints that exactly. He says, one obvious difference between art and games is that you can win a game. It has rules, points, objectives, and an outcome. Santiago, who is the woman giving the speech, might cite an immersive game without points or rules, but I would say then it ceases to be a game and becomes a representation of a story, a novel, a play, dance, a film. These are the things you cannot win. You can only experience them. Right there, Ebert has just defined Mass Effect as art. He just blew up his own argument. (laughs) Well, the thing, too, is that he's basing all of this on complete and utter ignorance. I mean, say what you will about his talents reviewing movies and his knowledge of that. The fact that he would go to such lengths to slam games as art without having any practical knowledge is really disappointing because, again, the man is an icon in in terms of reviewing movies in, in around the world, and you always see him as someone whom you can respect as being at least knowledgeable. You may not always agree with his opinions, but at least he's knowledgeable about the subject matter. The man's watched a few movies. He knows what he's talking about when he's comparing it. It's always an opinion, but if you respect his opinion, there you go. The fact that he would go to such lengths based on complete and utter lack of knowledge, complete ignorance, floors me. 
And it's very disappointing. Now, going back to what I was saying earlier too, it's funny how in he's talking about if it's something that is immersive that allows you to do something, it's not art either. My wife talks about, she studied art at um, a university in BC, and she talks about uh, a piece that her professor had done and that was in a gallery as well. And what the professor had done is he had actually measured his wife's gait, her walk, perfectly, perfectly, perfectly. And then what he'd done is he had created a, um, a, 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 a place where you could walk through and there were these um, stone um, kind of pillars as you walked and whatnot, but he shaped them to her gait painstakingly, painstakingly. So basically, as you walked through, if she walked through, it was perfectly shaped to her hips, her legs, and everything, so she would not hit any of the pillars throughout the path. However, if somebody else walked through, because it wasn't measured for them, they would hit all the pillars as they walked. This was still art, but it made you think, it made you appreciate the differences between people, and it immersed you in the experience. And that's the first thing that I thought about when he was talking about that, because art can be immersive. Art can be something that you actually have to participate in, in order to appreciate it. Whether you win or lose or whatever at the end, because there's an ultimate goal. In this case, the ultimate goal was get through. You're not going to be able to get through without hitting anything, but that'll teach you something in the end. Yeah, and someone who comes from the outside, not knowing what this is, is going to look at it and go, well, what the heck is this? It's a bunch of rocks that you know, I'm walking through. Okay. But someone who takes the time to really look at it, which obviously Ebert's not doing, he's not taking the time to really look at this, can appreciate what the creator was trying to do. And we'll see that that is an expression of his own personal person. Is that, yeah. That's what he is. That's what he look, believes in. Yeah, I'm going to be posting a link in the show notes that people should check out definitely that is this whiteboard episode from 1UP, which is absolutely fantastic because he talks about the the fact that the film industry had to go through this same bullshit years ago in order to classify films as art. And Ebert was one of the people who fought for this. And yet here he is, you know, 50 some odd years later, being the one that's insulting the game industry and saying that, no, they are not art, which is the same thing that he fought against for films. Yeah, and it's it just bugs me that someone who is such an icon in the film industry can't see the correlation between the way the film industry works and the game industry works. In the film industry, you have a writer, a director, somebody who has a vision and wants to bring it to life. And with very, very few exceptions, that's not something they can do themselves. They have to find other people to go along with them. And their vision ends up becoming the group vision which is exactly what you get when you're making a video game. One or two people have a great idea and they find other like-minded individuals. They're not just, you know, they're not just there. They actually, for the most part, there are, there are people that are there for the paychecks, but for the most part, it, everybody has a shared vision and they're all creating something together. And he can't see the correlation that the film industry and the game industry work very similarly together. It's almost, it's almost to me like, He's upset that the game industry is actually becoming more successful than the film industry. He sees this as a threat to almost his position, and he's trying everything in his power just to shoot it down. 
The thing, too, is that he's basing his opinions, again, based on point-blank ignorance, but let's be honest, there there are a lot of games that are not art, or they are, but they're really bad art, Yeah, and but there are some that are very good. We're at a point now where we are seeing a lot more games that are taking those steps necessary to create an amazing art experience wherein you get the feeling as if you are in a movie but you are actually interacting to me i've always seen it as the progression of film because you a case in point again dragon age origins uh, mass effect uncharted 2 uncharted 1 and 2 they're movies it's just that you are involved in the progress of the movie and where the story is going to go. It's the same as the books that we read as kids where you could choose where the story was going to go. It's the same kind of thing. You're involved in the decision process, but that certainly doesn't take away. It immerses you in it. You're, 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 you're in the book. You're in the movie. And the fact, again, the, the fact that he doesn't see this or refuses to see this or is just so point blank ignorant that he does not want to try is so utterly disappointing. Yeah, well, here's the thing. He He's not showing any interest in it because he's not getting the right sources. Now, the, the woman in the video, while a very well-done presentation, probably wasn't the best demonstration of it. For example, if I wanted to know more about movies, if I just look, if I go watch Avatar and I'm like, okay, it's a bunch of blue people running around and it's pretty, I don't get it. You're not going to go ask Roger Ebert you're going to ask James Cameron. You're going to ask Steven Spielberg. You're going to ask Quentin Tarantino, the people that have the vision that is being presented to the audience. You're not going to ask a critic about it. A critic is just going to give you their opinion, whereas the creator is going to give you what they wanted to do. And if you act, ask the creator instead of an outside source, I feel you'll get more of an appreciation for what's done. What we need to do is we need to start up the Roger Ebert Get a Freaking Clue Fund and find a way to have him sit down with people like the guys from Bioware, uh, Miyazuka and Zeshuk. Sit him down with Will Wright. Sit him down with Peter freaking Molyneux. And even though Molyneux's games <laughs> don't quite come out that great, we know the guy can talk up a good game. If anybody can convince Roger Ebert, it's going to be Molyneux. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. It, it, at worst, it would just be a, a, a real torture, and I'm for that. Just, <laughs> just to make a pay for this. All right. Anyways, that's gonna call it a wrap for tonight's episode. Vince, thank you very much for coming on short notice for this episode, and for again joining us for for the next foreseeable future. I do appreciate it. Well, again, I'm more than happy to be here. You guys have done a lot for me, and if you feel that this is me repaying you i don't see it that way it's you giving me yet another opportunity all right so everybody check out his site it is of course massivenerd.net and i'd like to give a special shout out to ralph ralph thanks for listening i was very happy to hear that you're enjoying the show and we'll leave it at that so everyone i will try to have the episode out tomorrow if not tomorrow it will be out on wednesday my target date and uh, make sure to listen to download so that you can hear Vince's feature on Legion, which is the last feature that we're going to have for the Mass Effect squad. And with that, good night, guys. Hello, everyone. This is Vince from MassiveNerd.net, bringing you my weekly Mass Effect 2 squad member biography. Please note, these features do contain spoilers, so if you have not finished the game yet, now is the time to stop listening.
this week's character is the Geth Infiltrator Legion. Nearing the end of their mission, the Normandy crew find themselves in need of a way into the Collector base. If they make the jump through the Omega-4 relay, the base's defenses will activate immediately. The elusive man directs them to a derelict Reaper destroyed thousands of years ago. Cerberus had recently discovered the Reaper and sent a research expedition. The elusive man believes that Shepard can obtain the Reaper's identify friend or foe unit and use it to sneak into the Collector base. While investigating the Reaper, Shepard and crew discover that some of its systems are still active, most notably the indoctrination system. The Cerberus research team had been driven insane and turned into husks. Suddenly, a simple mission was met with heavy resistance. However, Shepard would also find an unlikely ally. Throughout the ship, they kept getting support from a sniper, later revealed to be a Geth. In addition to the surprise of receiving assistance from a Geth, it was only a single Geth. If Geth gets stronger and more intelligent as their numbers grow, a single unit operating alone is unheard of. In the process of obtaining the IFF and escaping the Reaper, the Geth is damaged. Assuming Shepard doesn't sell the Geth to Cerberus for research, it can be reactivated and join the team. The Geth explains that this mobile platform, their term for body, contains more Geth programs than usual. Under most circumstances, a single mobile platform will contain approximately 100 programs. This Geth, though, is host to well over a thousand, making it unique among the Geth for its ability to function on its own. Without any individuality, the Geth is unable to give Shepard a name for itself. Edie gives him the name Legion, quoting a verse from the Christian Bible. Legion explains some of the inner workings of Geth culture to Shepard. For the most part, the Geth just want to be left alone. They neither hate nor fear the organic races, and only retaliate when provoked. The Geth that were working with Saren and Sovereign are a splinter faction, seen as traitors or heretics as Legion refers to them. The Geth fought for their freedom from the Quarians and saw the heretics' willingness to subjugate themselves to Sovereign as a betrayal of everything they've worked for. While Sovereign promised them technology, it paled in comparison to anything the Geth could create on their own in time. The heretics were taking the easy way out and reverting to a lesser state, so the Geth Collective allowed them to leave in order to preserve their society. When Shepard defeated Sovereign, he drew the interest of the Geth Collective. They wanted to gather more data on this organic that was capable of defeating one of the old machines. Legion was created for this mission. Legion set out alone to track Shepard. He started on Eden Prime, the colony where Shepard first encountered the Geth. Unprepared for the human resistance he encountered, Legion was damaged but still managed to escape. It followed Shepard's footsteps to Pharos, Novaria, and all the other planets Shepard visited on the mission against Sovereign. Eventually, Legion came across the crash site of the First Normandy. There, it used a piece of Shepard's N7 armor to repair the damage it suffered on Eden Prime. When Shepard asks why Legion chose that piece of armor instead of any number of other suitable repair materials, Legion is unable to provide an answer. For an emotionless being driven by programming, such an illogical course of action remains a mystery. Legion also explains why it was on the derelict Reaper. It was looking for some insight into Reaper technology to combat a virus aimed at the Geth. This begins Legion's loyalty mission, A House Divided. This virus is one of the bits of technology Sovereign granted the heretics. They were to use it to force the rest of the Geth Collective to join them in Sovereign's service. Sovereign may be no more, but the rest of the Reapers are still coming, and the heretics still believe their decision was the correct one. They intend to release the virus into the Geth network, creating an error in their decision-making process and causing them to join the heretics in their fight against organic life. Legion knows it must stop the heretics, but it is conflicted in the method. 
his programs are unable to reach a consensus on the correct course of action, to either destroy the heretics or repurpose their virus and return them to the Collective. Once infiltrating the heretic space station and reaching its AI core, Legion leaves the final decision to Shepard, believing that Shepard's experience will allow him to make the correct decision while his programs are unable to. With the heretics no longer possible allies for the Reapers, the Geth as a whole may present potential allies against the Reapers. If Shepard gains both their loyalties, he will be called to mediate a confrontation between Legion and Tali. Tali caught Legion attempting to upload information on the migrant fleet to the Geth network. Legion counters that the information was based on Tali's father's weapon tests against the Geth. Legion is only responding to the Quarian's aggression by providing the information to the Geth. It states that Tali would do the same thing if the situations were reversed. Tali will still not relent, and Shepard is faced with a tough choice. Legion stands alongside Garrus, Thane, and Zaid with sniper superiority in combat. Legion even exceeds those other characters, as it is the only character other than Shepard capable of wielding the incredibly powerful Widow Anti-Material Rifle. Its skills are similar to Tali, as it has access to combat drone and AI hacking. Combat drone, again, is a very useful and underrated ability, great for distracting enemies and exposing them from behind cover. Unfortunately, AI hacking is still too specialized to be very effective. One thing Legion has in its favor is its final skill, Geth Shield Boost. This, combined with the Widow, allows Legion to possess extreme levels of both offense and defense, making it a solid choice for higher difficulty settings. In the end, Legion is a disappointing character, but only in the fact that you can't recruit it until very late in the game. Legion demonstrates great insight into situations that normal, organic characters would overlook. Unfortunately, the only way to experience most of what Legion has to offer is to progress through the game in a manner contrary to the pattern dictated by the plot, putting the overall success of your mission in jeopardy. So, be sure to make the best of this awesome character in the limited time you have it, and hope Legion plays a large role in the finale to the Mass Effect trilogy. Yeah, microtransactions never bother me as long as it's, you know, a good value for your money. Not twenty-five dollars for a horse. For a star pony? Yeah, no, that's not right. <laughs> but hey, you can be just like everybody else. Yeah, my I was I was going to buy one for my girlfriend, and then she logged on her shaman in the middle of Dalaran and went, Everybody else has the horse. I don't want it anymore. See, this is a problem when you follow too many people too, which is why for a while I, I wasn't. But then people were getting pissed off, man. Try to not follow someone. They get pissed off at you. It's like, it's Twitter for Christ's sakes. Get a grip. So I just follow everybody now. I don't care. But then when you're looking for someone, holy hell damn, it takes forever. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm lucky enough to still be on the periphery of the community, so nobody cares. I'm not saying a lot of people care. I'm sure, I, I, hell, I get emails thanking me. <laughs> Thanks for not following me anymore, you dumbass. No, I'm just kidding. Christ, look at how many tweets they put up. They make Wesley Crusher look like he's a mute. Oh, who knows? We may go on forever on that last part. I, I have a few things to say. I do. Oh, I took notes. I took <laughs> notes. <laughs> All right, then. And look at that. 813, <sighs> not bad. Not bad.
Well, having one less person talking helps. Well, yeah, especially Joe. Hey, Jesus, it's hard to shut him <laughs> uh, he, up. Yeah, he, he would still be going on about uh, Lord of the Rings probably at this point. <laughs> It's possible.